So I'd invite you again to turn to Matthew chapter 5. Uh, you can also follow along at freegrace.me. And there is both the scripture reading as well as uh, an outline for this, for this message. You know, everybody longs to be happy. Is that surprising that I should s- say that? Anybody in here not want to be happy, right? Like happiness is uh, our chief pursuit in life. And you, you know, when you stop and think about it, it's just basically everything that we do is motivated by happiness, right? It's kind of the reason why we get out of bed or do our work or whatever, even doing things we don't like to do, but, but then there's an end result, right? Or yeah, sure, maybe I don't like my job, but I don't want to be homeless and I want to be able to afford certain things or whatever and go on holidays and take trips and those kind of things. And basically, you know, the reason why we get married or have kids and, and all the rest that we do is uh, because we believe these things will make us happy. And so we are in the pursuit of happiness constantly. Uh, Pascal, a a Christian philosopher of a couple of centuries ago, uh, wrote this. He says, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attended with different views. The will never takes the least step but to this object. This is the motive of every action of every man, even of those who hang themselves. Everybody, everybody is in a pursuit of happiness. And yet the reality is um, so few experience it or we experience it for a short period of time. It is so uh, fleeting and elusive Robert Rayburn writes, but the story of the world is not simply the quest for happiness, but the failure of that quest with all its attendant unhappiness, frustration, and despair. If happiness is the great question confronting mankind, then the Bible says its tragedy is that vast multitudes of people look for happiness where it cannot be found, seeking it in a way that is bound to produce misery instead. And so then we come to Matthew chapter 5, and, and, and it's in what Jesus teaches here in these first uh, 12 verses that we see why most people are not happy on the one hand, and then the way of happiness on the other hand. Now, Matthew 5 to 7 is, uh, is part of what is known as the Sermon on the Mount, perhaps the, the most famous sermon uh, uh, Jesus ever preached, the most famous sermon uh, ever preached in the history of the world. And then in, um, but it begins in the section of Matthew 5 verses 1 to 12 is commonly known as the Beatitudes. And the word Beatitude comes from a Latin word, Beatitudo, which means blessedness. And so we have this repeated word uh, over and over again, blessed, blessed, blessed. And, uh, and that word blessed can actually be uh, translated as happy or fortunate. Now, this is more than just simply, you know, the, the happy uh, feelings that we get. You know, you had a happy birthday or, you, you know, you, you had a good meal and you feel happy and, and you're in a good mood and you're feeling happy. It, it's going far beyond that. Uh, it's about fortune. It's about um, uh, um, 
what the truly good life looks like, what full human flourishing looks like, the life that all of us are ultimately after is what Jesus is talking about here. And so, so in other words, this is what life looks like under the blessing of God. Or as uh, Jonathan Pennington, who is a commentator, wrote a commentary on uh, the Beatitudes and Sermon on the Mount, says, the Beatitudes are an invitation to the way of being that will result in the disciples of Jesus flourishing. Or uh, to think of it in a different way, uh, for each one of these blessed, we, we would say of those who are blessed, in this way that Jesus is talking about, congratulations. You know, or lucky you, right? When somebody gets something, you're just like, what? You know, they win something or got something or things just went their way. Oh, lucky you. Or, or they achieve something. Or they are given an award or something like that. And we congratulate them. This is fantastic. How wonderful for you. That's really what Jesus is saying. Every time he says blessed, how wonderful for you. Congratulations. How fortunate. And so the good news is that God actually wants us to be happy. Not only do we want to be happy, God actually wants us to be happy. And so that longing for happiness is also part of what it means to be a human being. And it's actually a longing that God puts in us. And we are supposed to be happy. He wants us to know pleasure and joy and and delight and to flourish and to know life to the full even the the word gospel itself doesn't only simply mean good news it means good news that leads to deep joy right war is over cancer is cured right it's a girl right all these you know the good news that leads to deep satisfying joy So there are eight uh, Beatitudes. Some say there are nine. I'm going to go with the eight. I believe that the the last blessed is just a building on the one before that about persecution and those who are suffering and such. I I think that's just an expounding on on the one before it on persecution. But there are eight Beatitudes. So blessed, happy, fortunate are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who meek, who are meek, Uh, The pure in heart, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, peacemakers, the merciful, and those persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Now, the world will tell you, and we often believe in our hearts as well, that if you want to be happy, you need to have, you need to be wealthy, you need to be healthy. You need to be beautiful. You need to be popular. Uh, you need to be successful. You need to make a name for yourself. You need to get what you want. You need to be first. You need to have the most. You need to be the best. You may, need to be free to do whatever you want. You need your independence. Interesting that not one of those make the list of the blessed, happy, fortunate people. The Beatitudes are completely counterintuitive to what the world would say truly matters or what would bring happiness. And in one sense, it's like each of the Beatitudes, you look at them, they they all leave us wondering, like, how in the world can that be, right? Like, you know, blessed are the the, uh, merciful, right? They're the happy ones. Like, 
how can that be? The, the persecuted, how can that be? The poor in spirit, like how in the world can that be? Robert Rayburn again, he says, no one can deny that there is on their face a paradoxical character to the Beatitudes. They overturn our natural expectations. They combine fortune, happiness, and reward with the very things we are least likely to find fortunate, happy, or rewarding. And that, my friends, is their great point. And the Lord's great point in beginning his sermon in this memorable way. He is telling his disciples not only that their life must be very different from the life of the people around them who do not believe in him, have not embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they must think very differently than the people around them think, but that such a different life and different way of thinking is precisely the way and the only way for human beings to find the happiness that they long for. If you truly want to be happy, Jesus is saying, your life, what you live for, how you live, how you think is going to look very, very different. You know, what you pursue is going to look very different than those who are the people of the world. So what are some of the things that we uh, learn about happiness as we just kind of have a, a, a bird's eye view of the Beatitudes. So over the weeks, the coming weeks, Errol and I will be expounding and looking at uh, each one, uh, one at a time. But, but just first of all, just a bird's eye view. What do we learn from all these Beatitudes together about happiness? One is that happiness, we need to keep the end view in mind. Happiness always keeps, the true happiness keeps the end view in mind. Notice how... Um, the answer as to why such people are blessed or happy is there's a, a future view. At least six of them have a future view in, in, in mind with regards to this happiness, right? Blessed are the whatever, for they shall, right? It's not yet, except for the first and the last. All the other ones are things that are going to happen, right? For they shall inherit the earth. They shall be comforted. They shall see God. It's not, ha it's not happening yet, but that is what will happen. So in the here and now, these blessed people are still weeping and longing to be Longing to see God. They are not satisfied. They still hunger and thirst. They're being overlooked. They're being persecuted and so on. And again, it leaves us kind of scratching our heads. How can that be? How can people who are going through these things be happy? Think of it this way. If you would observe... You know, like if I said to you, you know, happy are those who get up at 5 a.m. every morning, uh, every day of the year. And they go for a two-hour run, followed by a very bland but nutritious breakfast. And then they go into the gym. And, uh, and then they, they train on weights for another two hours. And then they have a, a bland but nutritious lunch. And then they go to the swimming pool for a couple of hours or whatever. We'd, we'd look at it and say, what a miserable life. What a terrible life. But if we said, blessed are they who do these things, for theirs is the Olympic gold medal. Right? Like anybody who, who would observe the life of, of, of Andre de Grasse, you know, every day, 
every day of the year. Just kind of watched him every day, how his daily routine looked like. All, this, all the things he would sacrifice. All the other things he couldn't do. All the discipline, you know, training and everything else. We say, what a, what a horrible life. I'd never have, want to have that life. And then we watched him win the gold medal in the 200 meters. And you see the joy that that man has. And now we're all envying him, right? It's just like, wow, how fortunate, lucky you. You know, how happy you are. And so he has the end in view. And so that's what gets him up at whatever time in the morning and causes him to make the sacrifices and everything else. So, so it is with these promises that Jesus is holding out for for the blessed ones they are future oriented right as opposed to you know you can have the best life now that's not what Jesus is saying he's for the most part it's it's we can have the happiness now but the reward comes in the future and so the world judges things by what we can see and experience in the here and now the Christian looks to the world and experience of the world to come And so for us, it's enough, or it should be enough for us to know that while we may not experience, or at least not in the fullness, these uh, promises, the comfort, the satisfaction, and and such that are held out for us here uh, right now, or even in our lifetime, we will know this to the fullest degree. And that is ultimately what keeps us going and keeps the the fire of happiness uh, burning in our hearts. Also, what we learn here about happiness is that happiness and suffering can actually coexist. Happiness in the difficult life can actually coexist. Right? The Beatitudes actually assume a difficult life in the here and now, right? Right? Meek people. You know, we think about meek. You know, who are, who are meek people? Meek people are generally those people that we kind of take advantage of. They can often be pushed around. Uh, they can be overlooked. You know, think about peacemaking. What, what's, what's a peacemaker? Most of us are peace fakers, but a peacemaker is, right, a peace figure. We're, we're, we avoid everything for the, you know, we'll avoid conflict just for the sake of peace. But a peacemaker is somebody who actually enters into the conflict for the purpose of trying to find peace. Who shows mercy but those who have been hurt or sinned against? You know, persecution, right? Being insulted, being mistreated. All sorts of bad things happening to these beatitude people. And so the good news then is that I don't have to have the best life now in order to be happy. I can actually be poor, basically friendless, you know, single, you know, never have children, be hated, be an outcast, have ill health, be a loser, a failure, be unknown, unpopular, ignored, oppressed, persecuted, and I can still be happy. Actually, that's, that's, that's pretty good news. It's the actual barriers to happiness and the enemies of happiness are actually not poverty or cancer or COVID or being last or being without or being overlooked or an unfulfilling job or marriage or corrupt government or a liberal government or not getting your way or having her being able to go on vacation or whatever, those are not the things that actually keep us from happiness. And so the fulfillment reward may be in the future, but the blessedness, the happiness can be experienced now. And then also what we learn about happiness is that happiness actually does not come by way of pursuing happiness. 
Happiness is the byproduct of pursuing something else. Right? As we pursue something else, we live for something else, happiness comes into our lives. The happiness comes as we pursue the, for instance, the kingdom of God. Right? Or better yet, as we pursue God himself. That's what it looks like to actually experience happiness. But now you can ask, but are they, right? We look at these, okay, really are these disciples and us who are being described here by Jesus, are they truly happy? Is this really the way of happiness? How can we be sure, right? Do meek people, really? Pure in heart, really? Those who mourn, really? <laughs> like, really? How do we know that these can actually, it leads to happiness? Well, Look at what the happiness consists of. Look at the reward of those who are meek and those who mourn, those who are poor in spirit and so on. Look at what the reward is, right? The kingdom of heaven, which should be enough in and of itself. If that was the only reward, that should be enough, right? And, and, and we are already part of it, right? Theirs is the kingdom of God. So it's, it already is. It already is part of us. Or we're already part of it. In this kingdom that we, that those who experience this, it, it, is, it is eternal, it is glorious. It is where everything is as it should be and is meant to be, right? No sickness, no death, no, no tears, no, no death, no suffering. The, the kingdom that we all long for, we already belong to that if we're followers of Jesus. But more than that, there, there is comfort. The earth itself is an inheritance, not just the stuff in the, on the earth, but the earth itself becomes our inheritance. A fulfillment, satisfaction, a mercy. We'll get to see God, His glory, His grace, His beauty, face to face. Being called sons of God, right? The dignity and glory that go with that. And so friends, it is worth it. It is worth it to pursue God. It is worth it to pursue righteousness. It is worth it to live for something else besides yourself. It's worth it to endure suffering and to go without in the here and now for the sake of Jesus. And also what we learn is that happiness is only experienced by those who possess all these qualities. The Beatitudes, by the way, they're, they're not describing the super Christian, right? The super Christian. I've just got the meekness thing down, maybe, but not all the rest of them. You know, or that person got mercy, but boy, not very poor in spirit, doesn't mourn, never persecuted, right? Just like, you know, that's for the super, that's what we're working towards, you know? Help, one day I'll be meek. Maybe one day I'll be merciful, is, is not what it's talking about there. It's not just describing some Christians, it's describing all. And all of these qualities are to be true of every Christian, right? It's like, well, I got half of them. That's pretty good, you know, four out of the eight. I'm pretty good. It's like, no, it's, it's kind of like nothing, everything or nothing here. And so my question to you then is, do these qualities that Jesus is describing here, do they resonate with you? And I'm not just talking about some of them. I'm talking about every single one of them. Do they resonate with you? Uh, uh, do they describe what you long to look like? Are these qualities that you pray for? Are these qualities that you pray your children for, right? This is a great prayer list. God, make me more like this. Um, 
If that does describe you, then you truly belong to the kingdom of God. You are a Christian. You are among the happy, the fortunate, the blessed. But, it, but on the other hand, do you look at these and kind of chuckle at them, laugh at them, scorn them, scoff at them, find them to describe a life very different from what you want for yourself? Like, what? Persecuted? Uh, no. Hunger and thirst? I don't think so. Um, then you really need to be asking yourself the question, am I actually a Jesus follower? Am I actually a Christian? Do the rewards, do they stir you up or do they cause you to shrug your shoulders? Like, whatever. Because obviously, if God and his kingdom matters little to you, if what you're chasing after in life is riches and immediate gratification and pleasure and getting ahead and being noticed, being popular, having a problem-free, comfortable life, then the promised rewards Jesus offers, right? Seeing God, inheriting the kingdom, being comforted by God, being called a child of God is going to matter very little to you. And there will be very little incentive to be meek, to be a peacemaker, to be pure in heart, and so on. And while you may attend church, say your prayers, and strive to live a moral life. Once again, the question is, are you actually a Christian? Now, the fact that none of us live this way and pursue these things naturally or fully in our lives or pursue these rewards fully, show us how desperately lost we are. And so we come to our final point, which is happiness is a gift of grace. This blessed, fortunate, flourishing life is not something that you can achieve through your own effort, right? These aren't, what Jesus is listing here are not conditions we must meet in order to achieve eternal life. Oh, how do I get into heaven? Well, you got to be meek. You got to be pure in heart. Okay, okay, I'll go after that. Got to be merciful. Okay, I'll go after you. Got to mourn. Okay, I'll go after that. And the, the reality is, how in the world could you ever produce that in your life anyways? Right? If you're a proud person, what do you got to do? You got to be meek. Okay, all right. I'm going to gut it out, become this meek person. You know, oh, you got to mourn. Oh, okay. You know, you can't conjure that up. You got to be happy about being persecuted. Like, what? Like this is, these are just, again, that, that goes against nature. There has to be a supernatural work of God's grace in our lives in order for us to become this kind of people. And so our happiness doesn't rest in our effort, our motivation, our discipline, our intention, but on the promise of God, on the goodness of God, on the faithfulness of God, on the grace of God. And all of it is secured and guaranteed in and only in the gospel. And what is the gospel? The gospel is Jesus Christ, the king of the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, came down from heaven and came to earth, became a human being, became the kind of person and lived the life that none of us are and all of us are supposed to be, and he did it all on our behalf. And he fully displayed all the Beatitudes in his life and in his death. He was pure in heart. 
He was merciful. He hungered and thirsted for righteousness. He mourned over our sin. He was persecuted for righteousness. On the cross, he was poor. Poor in spirit. Showed mercy to those who crucified him. And he became the ultimate peacemaker. He brought peace between man and God. Between us and God and us and one another. And so through his poverty, we become rich. And through his tears, we receive comfort. Through his suffering and meekness and loss, we become children of God, inherit heaven and earth, and will one day see God. And friends, it's only as you get in touch with, and the deeper you get in touch with, just how sinful and desperate and lost you are outside of Christ. And then you see the price that was paid for your redemption and salvation and all that we inherit as a result, right? The great mercy that has been shown to us through Jesus, that is what creates and produces poverty of spirit, sadness over sin, meekness, the pursuit of righteousness, the longing to see God, mercy towards others and all the rest. It's what leads to and brings true happiness in our lives. It's the gospel. It's Christ and what he has done for us. It is the grace of God. And we'll experience that now and fully in the life to come. For those of you who maybe you're being convicted, maybe I'm not a Christian. I don't know. This, I don't know if this does describe me. My exhortation to you is that you will never know. You will never know the life that you long for. The happiness you long for true flourishing in your life through effort or good works. It won't be found in this world. It won't be found in your career or your relationships. It won't be found in marriage. It won't be found in popularity. It's only as you become the kind of person described here which requires a supernatural work of grace. Only as you live for something beyond yourself in this world, God and his kingdom, will you ever know true happiness and lasting happiness. And so Jesus says to you, stop looking for happiness out there. Come to me and find what you've been longing for. A flourishing life, a happy life, a life blessed by the one who made you and for whom you were Let's pray together.